final stretch of 2020, a year of which I think a lot of people are, are just eager to put behind us. But you know what? That doesn't mean anything has stopped in the world around us. Here to break down what the hell happened this week. I'm Tyler Axonis, Jason Matthews co-host. Jason, welcome back, man. Uh, I don't even know where to begin, and I think I start every week at that exact same point because uh, you know I need I need to keep a a daily tab of oh this is uh, worth breaking down, and I just can't keep track. No, it, it it comes at you. It's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. It, it it's nonstop, and a lot of people thought that it would slow down a little bit after the election and it seems as though it's it's only accelerating as we as we get into the new year and as we approach the uh, the new administration well yeah let, let's uh let's start there because uh, you know it slowed down after the election and everything that i've been seeing jason it's as though some people don't think that the election's over um you know i, I mean we had the the electoral college solidify things uh, just last week uh certify things and you're still hearing from even members of congress saying that they're they're thinking about challenging uh those results what january 5th or 6th and mm-hmm. on top of that you got the uh, uh the president uh visiting with michael flynn with the sydney powell about you know martial law it's still very troubling things happening out there I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, uh, but we're in, a, we're in a very dangerous period right now. I think we're probably in the most uh, fraught period for American democracy uh, since the Civil War, since before the Civil War, to be honest about it. These next 30 some days, less than 30 days now until Biden becomes president, are going to test our democratic institutions like no other. We've never had a president who has not accepted the results of the election. We've had plenty of presidents. We've had 13 of them who've lost re-election, who haven't been happy that they lost re-election. But they've always accepted. They've always accepted those democratic norms. The people have spoken. We have a president who is increasingly isolated, who is um, acting as though he is a mad king. I think there are serious questions that can be raised. This is not, not hyperbolic. But I think there are serious questions that can be raised as to his mental uh, faculties right now, his, his mental well-being. He is listening to crackpots. He's listening to Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn, um, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and he's being and, and you have this from all of reports, this wall of White House advisors. Um, the White House counsel, White House chief staff, Mark Meadows, they're, they're pushing back. They're telling they're trying to curtail the president, hold the president back from taking actions that are inherently undemocratic and un-American. The very fact that they, he is listening to people like Michael Flynn, who's saying you declare martial law in those battleground states, you go ahead and you go in and you seize the machines, the voting machines, uh, you go in there and you seize the poll books. This is extra constitutional. This is unconstitutional. And let's just call it for what it is. Um, you know, this is sedition. I don't use that term lightly. I don't say that as a partisan. I say that as somebody who teaches political science. Um, this is not going to work. This is not going to succeed. But the very fact that you've had this conversation take place by all reports in the Oval Office itself can only be classified as a coup attempt. And it is the first coup attempt. It's not going to succeed. But the problem is first coup attempts are usually followed by second and third coup attempts. And eventually a coup attempt is successful. And this is where we're at right now. And, 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 and what is, what is so really troubling in the extreme is that we have yet to see 
that leadership moment where a congressional delegation of Republicans is going to go to the White House and tell the White House, it's, uh, tell the president it's over. We're not going to have that because it all comes down to raw political power and it comes down to those Georgia Senate runoffs. Yeah, I, I'm i going to take that even a step further. You've, you've got not only the unwillingness to go to the White House, you have the unwillingness from the, those same individuals to come out and just simply admit facts as though uh, that, that they're detached from it. And, and by all accounts, you know, I mean, listening to our own U.S. Senator and Kevin Kramer, he will not say the words president-elect Joe Biden. He'll, he'll kind of find a way to acknowledge, yes, that uh, Joe Biden very likely won. But until you have, because people that disagree with me politically and listen, you know, to my show or read uh, on Andy Explains, yeah, they don't want to hear it from me because, you know, I'm the other, right? They, these people that are cheering this attempted coup on, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, gotta, you got to cross the Rubicon. You know, that, that's something that's been tweeted out now from, I think, the uh, the Republican chairwoman down in Arizona, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, until you have people within that structure come out and say, look, th this is enough. Now, we're we're crossing our own Rubicon as far as a political party goes. Yes, we have. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that that's that's as equally as troubling as the fact that Mitch McConnell is not walking down the street going to the White House saying look enough's enough well I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people are throwing that out there crossing the Rubicon let's let's look at what the Rubicon was where that reference comes from because there's a lot of people that are throwing that term around that they don't, don't understand yeah um Rubicon is a very shallow river in northern Italy and in the Roman Republic that was seen as the boundary to greater Italy and the Roman Republic had a very simple rule, and that was that no Roman general could cross the Rubicon heading south, which would have crossed it going into Rome with a standing army. Uh, and, and what Julius Caesar said, of course, famously, was he had his army, he had fought the great wars, he had come back, um, and, and, he, and he said the die is cast and his army crossed the Rubicon. And that was seen by the Roman Senate as an act of war. And it then precipitated the, the Roman Civil War, which then led to Julius Caesar becoming dictator. And we know how that ended up uh, for Julius Caesar at the end of the day. That's the reference here, um, crossing the Rubicon here. It, it means a point of no return. I think we've gotten to that point in our democracy right now just by the very simple fact that we're discussing this. Uh, the fact that the last week was extraordinary for the first time in the history of the United States. All right, for the first time since 1776, when we declared our independence, since 1789, when we've been operating under this constitution, the United States military came out with a statement last week that said they will not get involved in the election. Think of that. That's crossing the Rubicon right there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a point of no return. As I said, once you once you entertain that discussion, once you have those thoughts and they get out there in the in, in the atmosphere and they're being talked about on social media and in and, and, and on cable news and you have members of Congress, you know, that are even giving voice to this. Uh, we're 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 past a point of no return. Um, in terms of Kevin Kramer, he's a lost cause, so we move on. I mean, Kevin Kramer is singularly one of the most unimpressive political figures you can think of. I do have to, though, and I, and I think that we all have to do this. You have to salute those, and this ha could not have been easy when you had a majority, 60% of the House Republican conference 
that signed this amicus brief that the Supreme Court, of course, threw out in that ludicrous Texas case, one of the names that was not on that list was North Dakota's Kelly Armstrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to give him credit where credit is due. That took an act of some political courage because I can't imagine the pressure that, that he was under by House colleagues, not the least of which the House leader. And we know that Armstrong is politically ambitious. Um, and so you have to give credit where credit's due there. And, and, and you know, kudos to, to Kelly Armstrong for actually doing what's right, not what's politically expedient. But you also had two other figures that didn't sign on to that, notably. Uh, Illinois Congressman Adam Kitzinger, uh, who is really emerging here as a voice of reason uh, in the Republican Party. And he's been a, a Trump critic. Uh, and then Lynn Cheney, or, or excuse me, Liz Cheney, the uh, congresswoman from Wyoming, the daughter of the former vice president, um, she didn't sign on to it uh, either. Uh, so, so those are three people, you know, or two people, Kitzinger and Cheney, I'd look for in the next Congress in this post-Trump world that we're entering into, if there is such a thing, who are going to try to hopefully try to bring the Republican Party back to some semblance of sanity. One name that you didn't mention, because we talked about signing on to this brief. Well, that brief was a Texas lawsuit, but you know, one that disappointed me was Wayne Stengem, our attorney general, signing yeah. on to that. And I don't need to rehash what I've already said on, on KFGO or what I've written on ND Explains. You can go there and read it uh, yourself. But yes, I'm to the point of uh, Kelly Armstrong not signing on yet, happy that he didn't. Uh, and I don't want to say it was surprising because you know what I, I Kelly knows better, and I'm glad that he he decided to uh, you know Kelly's very intelligent, very smart guy, very and smart. And Kelly guy. and I get along. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I served with him on the the North Dakota Senate. He's never afraid to come on and, and visit to when we disagree on things, yeah. uh, you know. But what gave me pause when I was waiting to see the additional because you know Congressman Armstrong has been uh, a very public defender of Michael Flynn you know, as far as what happened to Michael Flynn. So I was waiting to see uh, which which side he fell on. Uh, ultimately, he fell on the right side, uh, meaning the correct side, not not the, the far right side of all that. Um, <laughs> the right side of history. Yeah, it, but, you know, the, the, the fact that this has been entertained uh, from the president through these, you know, whack jobs that are quick to find a podium and a camera uh, to, to push just lies, falsehoods but now like i said it's trickling out into uh just the general public that are now kind of well yep do whatever you got to do this is stolen from them which is just simply not true uh, i don't know how in the next you know 30 days or in the next four years underneath the next administration you start dialing that back jason well you don't that's the problem um you it's out there so so now where where this sentiment has always lived out there on the fringes it's now gaining um mainstream credibility in in many circles there's always been that fringe element there's always been that tinfoil hat brigade that's been out there um what i'm most concerned about um is the next 30 some days in fact we're less than 30 days away now from when Biden becomes president, because who, you know, these are White House advisors, Pat Cipollone, uh, the, the White House uh, counsel, um, Mark Meadows, the White House chief staff, they can all be fired by the president. The president, there, there is no, there are no checks on the president anymore. You've got an acting defense secretary, the country's in the midst of what has been described by, by experts as an ongoing attack by Russia, 
uh, the worst cybersecurity attack in our nation's history, um, which is tantamount to an act of war. Um, you have an acting defense secretary who just last week says, I'm not cooperating with the Biden transition team in the midst of this attack. Then to top it all off, you have Bill Barr, who uh, resigned. He, he's done on Wednesday. He's done on the 23rd. Um, and, and now you'll have an acting attorney general. And this comes at a time when the president is now going to pardon everybody and anything he can, including probably himself. Uh, and certainly members of his family. And though, and then he's going to want to, of course, unleash the, the Justice Department on Hunter Biden, who um, is under investigation. We're in a very dangerous moment here. I don't want to be a broken record here, but I can't overstate uh, how, how fraught these, these next few weeks are. Uh, and then to, top, and then to yeah. top it all off, Tyler, is once you have Biden come into the White House, mm-hmm. The, the the charges of being an illegitimate president i mean that 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 you you just i tell everybody just watch fox news prime time and you right now and you will get the next four years of coverage um well, on what you and from, well, from fox news let's take that for a walk and i know we got to move on here to the mm-hmm. the transition and then that cyber attack you just mentioned but here's what gets thrown my way anytime that i uh that i that i talk about this is well tyler look what look what your side did to donald trump for the for the last four years uh you know that he was illegitimate that it was a russian hoax uh, that uh you know just pick any of those angles that you know they're trying to say that look we're justified in in doing this because of what you did to donald yeah. trump your response <laughs> to that because i mean when when you tell when you're talking about the allegations uh, that have zero zero evidence about election fraud here in 2020, and then you go back to the investigation of what you had 16 separate intelligence agencies mm-hmm. confirm that no, there there was a Russian hack. Well, now look what Russia is doing. Because I remember at that time I said to hell with it being Republican, Democrat, or this election. Now imagine that Russia comes in and uh, you know hacks into your water system or your electrical yeah. grid you, you know and now here we are We're so some of that's <laughs> some of that's actually coming to, to reality mm-hmm. but that's the justification i'm hearing from people on the ground in north dakota minnesota south dakota that are that are going to be with trump until uh you know the, until he's no longer in that prime time uh that will look I, i'm gonna treat you guys this way because this is how you treated us well, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. You had multiple intelligence agencies that said that Russia was trying to influence the presidential election in 2016. Uh, the election results came in on election night. Donald Trump was declared the winner. Hillary Clinton the next day conceded. Um, within a few days, Donald Trump was in the Oval Office shaking the hand of Barack Obama, who welcomed him there as a legitimately elected president. Um, yes. You had investigations. Yes, you had a lot of people who were shocked that Trump won. Um, Trump, I would I would argue this gave um, gave a lot of ammunition to his critics. Um, There were a lot of areas that had to be explored there. Was there, you know, were there fringes out there on the left that said he's not my president and the resistance movement? Absolutely. Did they go to the extreme? Yes, because folks. You might not like who got elected president, but he or she, someday she, 
is still your president. <laughs> That's just the way the system works here. Uh, you don't get to pick and choose. You know, uh, I'm not accepting him or I'm not going to accept her. Um, so, so yeah, but I mean, it, it's me tooism in the extreme. And, and, and this is something that that's very disturbing to me. Um, uh, not to, not to borrow too heavily from Susan Collins, the thesaurus, but um, why it's troubling is that what, a, what the country needs right now, what American democracy right needs right now is um, conservatism that's intelligent. Uh, conservatism that is, is rooted in, in um, pragmatism and is, is rooted in tradition. Um, and you don't have that. You have a conservatism that is um, knee-jerk and responsive to the men with microphones, to Sean Hannity, to Rush Limbaugh. They're the ones that are driving the conservative movement today. And it's grievance and it's, um, it's snowflakes. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I mean, the, the victimhood that you see, uh, that you listen uh, to prominent conservatives that are, you know, just look, look at National Review that was started by William F. Buckley. Uh, today, you know, that, that's pro-Trump and it's all grievance. It's all, yeah, but the liberals are doing that. It's, the, the conservative movement defines itself by being against the liberals trying to own the libs. That's what they define themselves by. Uh, and and that, is the, that, is the, that is the jet fuel for them right now. And there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's nothing else there. If you strip yeah. that away, uh -huh. what, is mo what is modern conservatism today? I can't answer the question. I, yeah, I, I can. I, I mean, they'll attempt to get back to that now that you've got an incoming Democratic president. The deficit hawks in name only are going to be coming back out of the woodwork. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the whole movement of it's a victimhood. It's, you know, it's uh, here's my I have a coffee cup uh, that that's about filled with liberal tears. Isn't that what that Ben Shapiro or whatever that little guy's name is? By the way, I've never understood the appeal of that guy. He sounds like a squirrel on helium. <laughs> never yeah. understood it. Yeah, I, I, I don't. There's a lot of things I don't understand <laughs> this day and age. That's why we've tried to break down what the hell happened <laughs> every week. Um, but yeah, it's. And th th this uh, th this approach here, here's how I'm going to tie this all together. This uh, this loss of an election is the victimization of their uh, their movement again. And they're trying to find the out as though it was stolen from them. They're the victims of not a democracy, but of some some higher being, this deep state that was out to get them. It was rigged, and it's just not there. But to soothe uh, to, to soothe their uh, well being and their feelings as though that they are trying to find something to blame it on aside from the fact that because we cannot define what conservatism is aside from just being Trumpism. That's yeah. why you lost because yeah. people came out to vote against Donald Trump. That's also why, I mean, you had Republicans vote against Trump, but also vote for the down ballot candidates because yeah. they're still Republicans. Yes. And that, you know, if you, if you look at conservatism and this has been an issue and I, I think that conservatism has gotten lazy. And I think liberalism certainly has gotten lazy. As oh well. yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no question I, about not it. Not to both sides it, but this is one to where you absolutely yeah. can both sides this. You can both sides this. I mean, conservatism, you know, Ronald Reagan came in 40 years ago uh, next month and brought in supply side economics. And that is now that is now gospel. That's doctrine. That's dogma. You don't just, you know, you don't deviate from that. They haven't had an original thought there since Ronald Reagan came in with supplies at economics. On the other hand, the Democrats 
are still looking at the world as though we're still back in the 1930s and the New Deal and the 1960s yeah. with the Great Society. And the, the world has changed dramatically. You have one side that that um, that the Republicans um, that that are anti-government, um, but yet they don't want to give up government control. It's all about power. On the other hand, you have the Democrats that, that are the party of government. They, they believe that government has a role and then they get into office and then they fight amongst themselves over how much government. Uh, and, and the whole thing is, is the paradigm has shifted. The paradigm has changed. Um, and and the, the real battle once you get past this next decade, and we'll talk about this in, in more detail when we get into the new year, but once you get past this next decade where you're going to have these, these political sectionalism, and, and you are going to have, I'd be shocked if we don't go through a period of political violence in this country, the next big debate is going to be, how do you reinvent government for the 21st century? And, and that is, that's where you're gonna to have to see the innovation that comes into play here because we're still very much operating from a 20th century model, a 20th century model that goes back even before World War II in many respects. And here we are in the information age that we're living in and, our, and the government is, is rusty. Yeah. It's it's dated, and that and you know that that's for another time and another discussion. But mm -hmm. but you know that that's that's just the reality the reality that we're in. But the you have to have intelligent conservatism. I'm a two party guy. I believe that by and large, a two party system has helped has stabilized American democracy when the two parties have been broad based political tents. Uh, the two political parties are not broad based political tents right now, and that that we have a lot of problems as a result of that. But what's really striking to me is technology and democracy. And I'm at, at the point where I think that technology is incompatible with democracy. Um, and you see the group think that has taken place in the Republican Party that's very striking. And as I've said before, that then precipitates um, a response, an equal response. And that fuels, of course, a push in the, on the left um, to become even more ideological in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and to that to to kind of package those together, and then I want to talk about this transition in the Biden cabinet. Is uh, yeah, big party tents that would would debate uh, issues based on fact, and now with everything online and on social media, yeah. people don't agree on what facts are. Everybody's got their own, which is uh, you can't that you cannot make that work if you're coming out saying the sky is blue and the other one's saying no, but it's a little it's a hazy gray. <laughs> you know, it's just so, yeah. you know, and, and until we figure out where we, okay, no, this, the, this is a collective, uh, you know, these are facts, this is science, this is data, this is math, th these are the way of the world. I don't know how we, we turn it around, but I've got to turn around now because uh, we got to get into this transition. <laughs> nice and, uh, segue, nice uh, segue. It's, it's early too. I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. This coffee must be kicking in. Uh, You've got uh, the the cabinets coming together. I'd say arguably the one of the biggest pieces that's missing right now is the attorney general because of many of the things we just laid out as far as attempts to do this, that, the other thing that are uh, against the Constitution, against the rule of law. Um, your, your take on the Biden transition, because it... I was pushing back on early on that, well, this is going to be an Obama administration 2.0. Well... You're seeing a lot of recycled names. Now, there could be a couple of reasons for that. We're in the midst of a, a health pandemic that's fueling an economic crisis to where, you know what, 
I can see the appeal of having some people come in that know how, know where the bathroom is, know how to turn the lights on in the building, but also, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of want at some point, yeah, somebody that's going to move, move forward. So I, I'm trying to find a way to be okay. I understand, but also kind of disappointed in some of these picks. I think that the, that, that by and large, um, this is this is um, Joe Biden in his comfort zone um, in, in a lot of these picks. I think he's had some big misses, though. I think that he has three big misses. He has a big miss on the HHS secretary, Javier Becerra. The, he's the attorney general of California. Uh, all right. He has no background in healthcare care um, or managing. That's usually a position that goes to governors. Lloyd Austin at defense. Um, you're picking another general. Um, and, and yeah, there's history there with an African-American, but um, you're going to have to go get a waiver for that one. Um, agriculture was a big miss there with not picking Heidi Heitkamp. I mean, to go back to Tom Vilsack, who's already there for eight years. Uh, OK, um, but but then he did have I think he had three solid picks. He had a grand slam in Janet Yellen. It's not every day you can police progressives at Wall Street. Um, Jennifer Granholm at Energy. Uh, who, who understands the connection between clean energy and the economy, although she's going to run into the problem that the energy department oversees the nuclear arsenal, yeah, nuclear we'll, research. We'll get into. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I think Pete Buttigieg was a home run there um, with, with infrastructure, and that's what transportation is. It's about infrastructure. Um, so, so it's Biden going back to being in his comfort zone. I just got to say this, though. This is a more typical um, liberal bullshit. I'll be just coming right out and do it. I mean, you know, the, the, the clamoring here, the, the checking all the boxes, it's identity politics on mm -hmm. steroids. Mm -hmm. You need to make an effort and there's no question about that. Yes, you should make diversity a priority, but, but you take a look at these activists. Well, you know, you know, you need to appoint so many of, of people from this demographic group and this demographic group, uh, you know, you just won the presidency. Uh, you know, the, the, give him some slack, pick the people that he wants. And it's just, I mean, and this is, this is, this is emblematic of the modern Democratic Party. It's all about checking these boxes and, and making yeah. everybody feel good. I, I mean, I don't know, I'm expecting a, a letter coming out or a news release coming out at some point in time from transgender vegans of America. I don't know, because he didn't pick a transgender vegan. I mean, I'm being flippant here, of course, and it's politically incorrect, I suppose. But I mean, but, you, know, well, you know, or agnostics of America. We don't have enough agnostics in government. I mean, give me a break here. And and, and what it does is, is I think that it stifles, it stifles the, the um, selection process and it brings those people to come into office as though they're under a cloud of suspicion, that, they're, that they were picked solely because on the basis of interest group pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, you can take that right back to the, the egg secretary as far as, yeah. you know, I mean. The, the the big pushback on Heidi was just head shaking and off off point, you know. And then for you to say that Joe Biden went back to his comfort zone and Tom Vilsack, I think is appropriate, you know. It's because yeah. uh, and I don't need to get obviously I was very disappointed in that one because it just seemed to have made sense where things were going. And you you touched just briefly on Jennifer Granholm because that one kind of left me uh, my 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 brow was kind of squinted. Uh, okay. And, you know, I mean, I get it that she was the governor of 
Michigan. You've got uh, the auto industry there, but I explain more of why that was a good pick because she, she has been um, back when she was even governor of Michigan, she was talking about clean energy and okay. coming from the, coming from the auto industry, of course, Michigan, mm-hmm. she was talking about how it's not an either or proposition that Detroit can be producing um, clean cars, uh, you know, uh, electric cars, um, hybrids. She was, she was a big push, a uh, big proponent of that. And in leaving the governorship, she's been out of the governorship now for uh, about 12 years. Um, she's been very involved in clean energy um, initiatives. And that was, that's been her big push. And what she has always made the argument is that the America can lead the world in creating, in capitalizing on the clean energy economy. And she's not one of these people that says there's not a place at the table for fossil fuels. And she's not one of those at all. She's saying, let's do our best to try to capitalize on the potential here and own the market uh, when it comes to clean clean energy. And, and that's that's why, and, and she's also a former governor and she has that administrative experience. And I think that's a good pick. She, she's able, she was a successful two-term governor in Michigan. Um, but for the fact that she was born in Canada, um, she would have been the Democratic nominee in her own right. Uh, but she's ineligible to serve as president because of that. Uh, and so, so now she, she um, has a platform uh, and she is uh, simpatico with the president-elect in looking at you know, creating those new blue-collar, good-paying, clean energy jobs the problem is, is that um, the energy department's mission, you know, Rick Perry, you know, the, the former energy secretary in the Trump administration, you know, he went in there as, as a former Texas governor. He thought he was going to be an ambassador for, you know, North American energy. He was going to be ambassador for the fossil fuel industry, for, right. for you know, for the fracking revolution. He gets in there and he finds out that half of his job is dealing with the nuclear stockpile. Well, that's why I want to bring up Jennifer Granholm. Thanks for explaining why it was the right choice. Um, because that that exact thing, I mean, Rick Perry, you know, talking about departments and then forgetting energy and then becoming the energy secretary was kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> oh, you're going way back. In the old... but, but, but mind-boggling for me, I'm like, why would you pick this? Why would you pick the guy that couldn't even remember the energy department? And then you have Jennifer Granholm like, uh, you know, as I said, okay, I get part of it, but your explanation, I'm a little bit more comfortable to an extent but now you've got the the nuclear stockpile research and we've got a cybersecurity crisis on our hands yeah. which we find out at the end of last week uh that this was one of the areas of which was access we don't know what to extent or what may have been seen stolen or otherwise uh viewed uh and now you've got this whole crisis and you've got a brand new cabinet coming in a brand new administration and the outgoing one saying Mah. This is being overblown by the media, and it could have been China instead of uh, instead of Russia, and it's it's troubling. I I had uh, a, a professor, Dakota Rudisil, just a, a brilliant guy. He actually has North Dakota ties up here, but he's he's a professor of national security of uh, the Ohio State University, talking about this on the early stages. You know, before we learned even more how troubling it was. And trying to figure out, you know, at what point do you say that this is an act of war or is this just in the new way of which we've got international spying instead of having, you know, people on the ground, we just look into the files on computers. He didn't have an answer. He goes, this is also brand new. And this is such a, uh, you know, a widespread deep dive 
if you think that somebody's been in your system since March of 2020, and we found out, uh, you know, at the early first Sunday, I think of December, boy, we this is going to be catastrophic. This is going to be catastrophic. Um, and this, this goes beyond, this goes beyond Biden and Trump. I mean, although Biden's going to have to deal with this, um, I don't think we are going to know the full extent of the damage to our national security. And, and we're going to have no choice. We're going to have to respond in kind. Um, and I mean, this is, this is warfare in the 20, in the 21st century. The problem from a foreign policy standpoint is this um, Mitt Romney said on Sunday uh, with Jake Tapper, he said that Russia is a gas station masquerading as a country. Uh, and if you take a look at Russia, there are a lot of problems in Russia. They've got a brain drain. Life expectancy is low compared to the rest of the developed world. Their, their only thing that they're propped up is their energy sector. That's it. Um, but Putin has absolute control over the country, and he's got, a, he's got a very strong military. And talk about grievance, he blames the West and the, and the United States in particular for everything. And so that's, that's, where, that's where Putin is. The real long-term security threat to the United States in the 21st century is China. China is the long-term threat. We're on the precipice of a second Cold War with China um, moving into the middle of this, of this century. The problem is, is that we're going to have to deal with a resurgent belligerent Russia. And that's going to be our immediate focus. Um, at the whole time, the whole time, we also have to build up and shift our focus over into the Pacific and trying to counterbalance the rise of China. That's the dynamic that's going to take place in terms of foreign policy over the next decade, two decades. And here's here's the deal: both Russia and China see the United States as f a failing power, as a as a power that is in now in the twilight. Of, of its its position in the world. And frankly, to be honest about it, much of Europe sees it that way as well. Um, you know, the, the damage control, the, the repair mission uh, for the foreign policy team coming in is going to be immense. And, and they're not gonna get any breathing room here because not only do you have the cyber attack that you have to, to deal with and you're gonna have to respond in kind, you also still have to get a hold of this pandemic. And the news is very positive about the vaccines thus far. Moderna is now, the Moderna vaccine is going out as we speak now onto the market. But now the news has come out in the last week of two new strains of the coronavirus out of South Africa and out of the United Kingdom, which is now forcing Britain and Canada, or excuse me, Europe and Canada to actually curtail flights coming out. The United States hasn't done that yet. They haven't limited flights from Great Britain yet. And scientists are very concerned about getting a grasp of this new strain of the virus. That you know, I mean, 2020 was a shit show, and it's going to carry over into 2021, unfortunately. Yeah, I know that. Right when you think, okay, the the light is at that end of the tunnel, and then all of a sudden you you have to pop it down into second gear and start slowing down again because of uh, of uh, these new strains. And uh, 60 Minutes had a great piece from um, on the Pfizer vaccine uh, the other day and, uh, you know, talked about that exact same thing. Yep, hope this didn't happen overnight. It's not a miracle. This is that science data, you know, all that stuff that's grounded, you know, that this was progress. But, you know, when you think about, and I, I honest, when you talked about the two strands, I knew about the one out of the United Kingdom, the South African one I'm unfamiliar with. I know about well, they're the very similar. I, I guess they're, they're, they're transmission very is very yep. much uh, like, 
way higher, but getting to be, uh, okay, here's, here's my goal for 2021 is to be more of an optimist. And if you know me, that's going to be damn hard, but <laughs> with, uh, with his, with these vaccines, even with these new strains, they're saying as of right now, we don't suspect that these new strains, albeit they're going to be more transmittable, that the vaccine should still have an impact on, on once you get them distributed. Now that's the key thing that they should be able to hope, hopefully contain this, uh, this new strain as well. Now, granted to get 70% of the world's population to be vaccinated or to, to have, you know, survived, it's going to be a long time coming. It, it will be. I, 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 it's been a year for pessimism. Uh, it's been, we're in a pessimistic moment uh, in our country. I have to say this though, uh, let's end on a on an upbeat note, shall we? I'll tell you why there there are reasons to be to be optimistic moving forward. Uh, you have to be very clear-eyed about where we are as a country, where the world is right now, and clear-eyed about the immediate future. And the immediate future is going to be ugly. That's just a simple fact. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, political sectionalism is roiling this country. I do believe there's going to be political violence. Um, you have a president in Donald Trump who's going to leave on January 20th, um, and he's going to believe that he's a president in exile, and he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to have a platform. I'm not entirely convinced, though, that once he's off the stage that, that uh, he's going to be able to keep that going. I, I, I think that political ambition, personal ambition kicks in here, and a lot of Republicans are going to try to move on, but they're going to try to move on from Trump as an individual, not from his ideas that he espoused. So there's that. Um, so that that you have to be you have to look at it very clear-eyed. You have to take a look at the dysfunction in American government right now. You have to be very clear-eyed about that and the fiscal situation that the country's the country's going to be in once we get out of this pandemic. With that said, once you get out of the pandemic, uh, the economy is going to sh- explode because people are pent up. They're ready to get out of there. Um, so there so there's that. But one thing that is a hallmark in in American history is we go through periods like this. Uh, The difference, of course, now is that we, you know, technology and social media. But there's always always that period of turmoil that's followed by American renewal. And American renewal is when we get our shit together after, as Winston Churchill noted, after we've exhausted every other alternative, we, we do the right thing. We get our shit together we then are able to reinvent ourselves. That's the constant in America. This is a country of reinvention. We've always been that way. And I, I'm optimistic that we will enter into, not in the, in, the, in the near term, but in the long term, looking beyond five years, even eight years, we will enter into a period when we go through the storm, we'll enter into a period of political reform. I, I do believe that. I believe that the baby boomers getting off the stage, to those of you who are baby boomers listening, I say this with all due respect, um, that, that that generational change, that Generation X, not the millennials, but Generation X right now, those guys that are in their 40s and 50s, they're going to be stepping up. They're much more clear-eyed and pragmatic than the baby boomers. The baby boomers um, are leaving us in a mess, but, but I believe the future generations are going to be the ones that are going to think outside the box. And you take a look at millennials who are much disparaged, but millennials are, are creative thinkers. They're thinking, they're thinking big. 
They're thinking outside the box. They're looking at ways in which you can apply new concepts and technologies to solve problems. And, and that's, that's why I think there's, there's every reason to, to be optimistic. And something else here, and this might sound dark, but I don't mean it this way at all. America was at its best in many respect when we were in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Nothing, nothing focuses the attention like the prospect of Armageddon. Um, what is very constant in America is that we need to be challenged. We need an external challenge. Uh, and, and having a competition with China um, is, is, of course, fraught militarily. But having that competition, knowing that we're being pushed, um, is exactly what this country needs to modernize itself and to reinvent itself, that external pressure. So I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic uh, in the long term. Uh, not in the short term, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, 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 a couple minutes ago, I'm not, here's my goal, 2020, I'll be more optimistic. And then I hear some of the things you're saying. It's like, God, I want to believe that. I hope you're right, but it won't be coming anytime soon, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, as far as, because I, I think, you know, granted this year, the, the, the shit year that it was, has you know darkened that light a little bit <laughs> but uh and that that external threat yeah I and mean, we've been we've been facing that for a little bit of time now and i hope that after the turmoil that is just purely politically driven right now is what it is yeah uh, once we do get past that moment whenever it is hopefully sooner rather than later that we can start rallying around the flag and uh and say all right you know damn it we're better than this we got to do a, a few small uh, critiques here, a couple big changes there, and damn it, we're going to get through it all together because this is the United States of America. Damn it! But you know, demographics kick in. You know, it, you know, don't take my word for it. Uh, the Republican polling firm Public Opinion Strategies came out with their numbers of the electorate. They broke everything down in the aftermath of the election, um, and and they look at the numbers. and And this is a Republican firm, and they found that that Biden won voters between the ages of 18 and 29, that they made up 18% of the electorate, by the way. He won, 60, won them by 65%. And in voters between 30 and 24, that was 22% electorate. He won at 53% to 38%. Now, older voters, um, they, went, they went for Trump by about 54%. Why I bring that up and why that's important is because the Republican Party, and, and this is, you know, we talked about this with the conservative movement, the Republican Party is facing a demographic crunch there. Now, now the Democrats think the demographics are destiny and therefore, you know, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to win over non-white voters. And this election proved that wasn't the point. Uh, that, 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 you know, when you look at these numbers and you dig into the data here, but why that's important is um, that demographic, those two groups I'm talking about, um, 18 to 29 year olds and 30 to 44 year olds, they don't have any memory of government working. They don't. And that is a group that has settled their opinions on those social issues, by and large. Um, when you talk to people who are animated about the social hot button issues, they typically tend to be over 50 years old, by and large. That's a group that has already moved on from that. Also, that's a group that's very comfortable with technology. That's a, very, that's a group that's also much more open-minded, relatively speaking, to the rest of the world. They've only known the global economy 
that is why I'm, I'm optimistic here um, because that generational change comes into play here. And that generation coming in, I think is gonna think outside the box and, and, and make, make some changes. Because what, what alternative do we have? What's the nothing, alternative? Not, nothing I wanna dive into, you know, no. the, you know, the isolationism, the, you know, it just. If, and that only lasts for a certain, that, that can yeah. only last for a certain period of time before it breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is that when it breaks, it's ugly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, you've got, you've got to try to be an optimist, but you look at the data there, you look at the numbers there and you see, and it also hopefully will force a change in the conservative movement um, that, that will realize, hey, we have to reach out to these groups to get them. Uh, to move them in. On the other hand, though, too, you want that because the Democrats are going to continue to go back to the well with with having these debates over how much government and we need, you know, I mean, you know, we need to, you know, the answer is to just forgive everybody's student loans. Well, no, that's not the answer. That's my personal opinion here. Um, you know, and you have these debates, you know, I, we've got to break out of this. You've got to shatter this, this, these walls that we're in. Um, where we're, we're operating from on the paradigm that was set by, by Franklin Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Um, and, and history shows that we're on the cusp of doing just that. What a great way to end season one of what the hell happened this week. Oh, season one. <laughs> yeah. 2020. We got it started. Go. We'll do season two after the new year. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, it's been dire. Hopefully uh, as we enter the new year with new hopes, new aspirations, we can have, new conversations about some of the good shit that's happening in the world and not just trying to recap all the, uh, all the head scratching moments of the week that was, but Jason, it's been fun, man. You have a good new year. Been a blast. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll pick it up season two, 2021. All right. By the way, have a happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yes. You know, day you know, the listeners Christmas. here. Need, yeah. The listeners here need to know this is a boxing Boxing Day, baby. Boxing Day. And if I would have cooperated, my mother likes to remind me every year I would have been born on Christmas Day. Mm. No, no. You already got screwed enough as yeah. is being well, born the day after Christmas. And it just shows that I was stubborn before I even really officially entered the world. I was coming out on my own terms. The doctor said, no, it's time to take care of this. And I was a C-section baby. So... Yes, stubborn, yes. stubborn from day one. Now it'll be 34 years later and I'm still stubborn and probably a little bit more ornery than when I started. God, you're only 34 people listening to the show would think that you're probably more like 74, but that's all. Other yeah. Cause I, 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 you know, the, the, the year as far as, you know, my body, but man, am I an old soul. <laughs> uh, as am I, as you're well aware. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, man. You take care. Yeah, happy New Year. Merry happy Christmas. New Year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you all as well. You all take care. Happy New Year. We'll check in 2021.